The first reading today comes from Matthew 4, verses 17 through to 25. From then on, Jesus began to preach, to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, since they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria, so they brought him brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains. The demon possessed the epileptics and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee to Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Gordon. The second reading today comes from Matthew 6. Verses 9 through to 15. Therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be hallowed as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread as we forgive us our debts and, and forgive us our debts and also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring unto us unto temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. For if you forgive people their wrongdoings, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for that reading and thank you for your welcome. It's really great to be here today. If, if we haven't met, I'm James and I'm usually a part of the 6pm congregation here. Um, during the week I work with um, a Christian ministry amongst uni students at Sydney University and I've been studying part-time at Moore College uh, for a few years and as of uh, two weeks ago I finished off all my subjects for first year of college so feeling um, pleased by that milestone. Now, over these few weeks, uh, with our Vision Month, we are looking at the Lord's Prayer. And today we come to the second verse in that prayer, which asks for God's kingdom, kingdom to come and for his will to be done. And given we're talking about prayer, let's, let's start by praying. Our Father, hallowed be your name. We do pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please give us a greater insight into what those words mean, that we may love you more deeply and worship you more wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, I wonder, uh, and this may be a, some time ago for some of you, when you were a child, what was the job you dreamed of having when you grew up? Now, there are, of course, some uh, usual choices, kids who want to be teachers or firefighters or doctors. And for most uh, kids, they change their mind fairly often. They're, they're quite fickle. Maybe you have some grandchildren who every time you see them, they have a different opinion about what they want to do when they grow up. Now, I remember uh, fairly vividly in year six, I um, had to sit an interview as part of the process to get into a certain school in year seven. And in that interview, I was asked what job I dreamed of having when I grew up. And I don't, I don't know exactly what, uh, if I knew what this meant, but I answered that one day when I grew up, I wanted to be Premier of New South Wales. Um, I think what may have inspired me was there was some sort of school event and lots of schools came together and the keynote speaker was Bob Carr, who was the Premier at the time and um, has been a federal senator more recently. And um, after attending that event and, and seeing Bob speak very eloquently, I, I started to dream. Maybe I could be that sort of famous speaker. Maybe I could um, be on TV and command respect and people would look up to me. Now, of course, uh, I was being a bit naive and silly, but in my own year six way, I was dreaming about a future that revolved around my personal advancement and prestige. Um, but having dreams about the future, it's not just the domain of children, is it? We all desire and strive after visions of what we think will make us happy or fulfilled or content, our sort of visions of utopia. Now, I work with uni students at Sydney Uni, and um, this is certainly the mindset for many of them. There's a culture of working relentlessly to get where you want to be, of building your CV and taking the right internships and forming a professional network and forecasting where you want to be in five years or ten years and the steps you need to take to get there. In other words, these students that I work with, they have a, a vision of what they think a successful, happy life looks like. You could say, in some sense, they're seeking to build their own kingdom. And while for certain uni students, their hopes and aspirations may be bound up in education or career, this isn't the only form of kingdom building. Each of us has dreams about what we think will make us truly happy and content. Maybe for you, it's the ideal of having a big and happy and healthy family, a loving marriage, kids and grandkids who are well-educated and successful. Or maybe it's the ideal of home ownership and a well-manicured garden and finally being debt-free. For Sydney property prices, I don't know if that's even possible, but... Or perhaps um, you... you a dreaming of um, what you want to do with your partner in retirement, uh, how you'd like to spend your time, what you think will make you feel fulfilled and content. Our personal kingdoms, these, they consist of the things we dream will make us happy and successful, the things we long for and strive toward and make our ambition in life. And in today's passage, Jesus sets forth God's vision for the world. We're thinking about vision this month, here we see what God has to say. Jesus instructs his disciples to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' model of prayer is one that starts with God and his plans and purposes for the world. We saw last week that we're invited to address God as our Father and we pray that his name may be honoured as holy. And today's uh, verse flows on from that opening. All of these different ideas are connected together. God's name being honoured as holy results in his kingdom coming and his will being done. Now, the words of the Lord's Prayer may be very familiar to you. You might have said them for many years since you were a child, and they are easy to sort of rattle off. Um, but what, what I hope to do in this next 20 minutes or so is slow down and think carefully about what exactly Jesus is instructing us to pray for. What does it mean to ask for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done? And in Matthew's gospel, kingdom is a, a major theme. It comes up 54 times, more than any of the other gospels. And um, Matthew 4, verse 17, which Judith read for us, is a really helpful passage for filling out our understanding of what God's kingdom involves. In Matthew 4, 17, Jesus begins his public ministry. And this is his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus begins to gather followers to himself and they travel through the region of Galilee and there he proclaims the good news of the kingdom. He keeps talking about a kingdom. And this is the response. Jesus is wildly popular amongst some and news about him spread all over Syria. People brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralysed, and he healed them. You see, Jesus not only proclaims that God's kingdom is near, by his works he shows what that kingdom is like. Jesus shows that the kingdom is a place without sickness, without disease, without pain, or paralysis or epilepsy. The kingdom is God's way of bringing wholeness and healing to a broken and hurting world. I don't. I'm sure for many of you, this is much more acute in your own experience than it is for me. Uh, having previously worked um, in aged care, I just know firsthand that the struggle of long-term struggles with pain or illness or even um, dementia, those sorts of things are not present in God's kingdom. His kingdom is a place of wholeness and healing where perfect peace reigns, where his people will enjoy his rule and his blessing forever. And what Jesus does 2,000 years ago in Palestine is he establishes that kingdom. He, he came in real history, in real time and space, and showed what God's kingdom is like. In real history, heaven started to break into earth. Jesus established the kingdom and... He invited people and invites people still today to receive that kingdom, to recognise him as the, as the king. But while Jesus, in that dusty Palestine setting 2,000 years ago, while he established the kingdom, while he brought it near, he also taught that the kingdom is not yet fully and finally here. Even as heaven breaks into earth, earth still awaits heaven to come in its fullness. And we know this. We still experience pain and suffering. 
In Matthew 22, Jesus speaks about heaven as a banquet that God is preparing for his people where they will enjoy feasting and celebration. In Matthew 25, he talks about a future heavenly kingdom which will come about when, when he returns. When he returns, he will judge the nations and welcome his people into the kingdom prepared for them. Jesus has established the kingdom already, but it is not yet fully and finally here. It is both now and not yet. People are invited today to become citizens of God's kingdom, but the kingdom is not yet consummated. It, it still awaits the return of the king. And um, one of my favourite books is um, J.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. I've been rereading it recently. Maybe you're familiar with the movies. And in the story, the line of kings was thought to be broken. But in fact, there is one king, Aragorn, who emerges, who can wield the sword of Isildur and unite the armies of Middle-earth and bring the kingdom. With the king's return comes the kingdom. So too, when Jesus will return, he will bring the kingdom fully and finally. There will be no more sickness, crying, pain. Therefore, what does it mean for Jesus to instruct us to pray, your kingdom come? Well, he's not asking us to pray that the kingdom would come into existence because he's already established it. He's asking to pray that the kingdom would come in two senses. Firstly, that the kingdom would grow. As more people receive Jesus as their king and submit to his loving rule, the kingdom continues to expand. But Jesus is also asking us to pray that the kingdom would come fully and finally, that the king would return, that his kingdom would be consummated on earth as it is in heaven. This is the hope of Christians. This broken world full of pain and sorrow and sickness, this is not the end. God in Jesus has established his kingdom and one day soon he'll bring it to fruition. All sickness and death will be done away with, and God's people will enjoy his presence and blessing forever. And at Christmas time, that's something we celebrate. I was thinking about the, the words of this hymn as um, I was preparing. Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Saviour reigns, Jesus reigns, let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Isn't that an exciting vision? That Jesus rules, that he's bringing about a kingdom where there will be healing and wholeness. And I hope that's something you're excited about. But it's important to sound one note of caution, because while Jesus issues a free invitation to all to receive his kingdom, there are some he encounters during his ministry who he warns are at risk of not entering it. He says in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. He says in Matthew 18, after encountering a rich young man, I assure you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And in Matthew 21, Jesus rebukes the religious leaders of his society. He says something scandalous. He says, I assure you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For these characters, there are things that prevent them from receiving Jesus' kingdom. There are some who do great works of ministry and even miracles in Jesus' name, but they don't actually know him. And they're doing those things for their own sake and not out of worship to God. There are some who are rich and successful and popular, but Jesus says it's hard for them to enter the kingdom, for their wealth and their self-reliance prohibits them from trusting in God. There are others who are eminently upright and moral, but they place their confidence in their own ethical integrity rather than relying on God's righteousness. So given these warnings that seem to emerge throughout Matthew's gospel, how can we be confident of entering God's kingdom? How can we know we are recipients of the kingdom of heaven? And the key to answering that question is found in um, our passage in Matthew 6, 10. Jesus instructs us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. Jesus says, in our prayers, we first of all should be oriented towards God's name being honoured as holy, towards God's kingdom and God's will being done, and not our own. Now, we're going to see next week that it is suitable for us to pray for our daily bread and our basic needs, but the overriding desire of our heart should be for God's kingdom, for his purposes and priorities in the world. And if you're anything like me, it's very easy to be preoccupied with seeking our own priorities, our, our personal kingdoms. How often our dreams are wrapped up in our careers or our families or our health or our full social lives. And all those things, they can be okay, but a problem comes when we desire and seek them inordinately, when we turn good things into God things, when personal desires for success become greater than our desire for God's kingdom. Now, I, I've been struggling with this a little bit myself in recent months. I've found myself um, frequently sort of on my mind, what am I going to do in the future? What jobs will I have after a Bible college? Those sorts of things. And that's okay to think about, but at times it's bordered on an unhealthy preoccupation and obsession, researching different options, being anxious or worried about what I can do and how that will work with family commitments. And in my head, I've been trying to deliver a neat little vision of my personal kingdom rather than seeking first God's kingdom. I wonder for you, what's the prayer, what's the kingdom you are seeking after? What vision of the world do you long for? And how does that accord or not with God's kingdom coming and his will being done? And the good news, of course, is that Jesus extends his unending grace to me and to you. He forgives us for our disordered ambitions, our misplaced loves, and by his spirit, he enables us to have new desires and new hearts. You see, Jesus was the only one who perfectly sought God's kingdom and God's will. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he knew he would face the horror of the cross, 
his prayer remained oriented toward God's kingdom. We read in Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said to his disciples, My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Going a little farther, he fell down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Even in his darkest hour, Jesus remained oriented to God's kingdom and God's will. And only he can qualify us to enter the kingdom. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection and then ascension, he is now the reigning and ruling king. And through faith in him, we too can become citizens of that heavenly kingdom. Through faith in Jesus, we can have confidence of our admission to God's kingdom of heaven. Before such a king, the only suitable response is to come in humility. We don't come before our Father in heaven like the rich young man who was building up his own wealth and career and moral success. We come instead like humble little children, not like a boastful version of me wanting to be premier, but much more like my two-year-old niece who is completely dependent on her parents. The posture with which we come to God as our father should be one of humility as a child. When we do that, we don't need to be anxious um, before God about our, our achievements or our personal kingdom building. Instead, we can humbly receive what God has done for us in Christ. We can be set free to seek after his kingdom. Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 18, I assure you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, God's kingdom, it's, it's inverted, it's upside down. We often think to ourselves, oh yeah, these people, they're very successful and, uh, and have achieved great things. But in God's way of doing things, it's the lowly, it's the humble, it's the people who have faith like a ch child who are in the end esteemed and exalted. I think that's a really important encouragement and reminder when we can feel sort of hard-pressed, beaten down, struggling. Often it's in those moments that we're best able to come before our Father in humility. And when we do that, our own visions of success can be deprioritized and, and lowered in importance. We can learn to truly pray to God as Jesus did, yet not as I will, but as you will. And this is freeing, actually, because no longer does our sense of self-worth need to be wrapped up in our kingdom-building projects, our, our homes or our families or our social lives, those pursuits can be put in their proper place and seen as lesser in contrast to the overriding rule of God's kingdom. We don't need to be stressed or anxious before God as our Father because our hope and our desire is not rooted in our own achievements but in God's kingdom. The very act of praying this prayer is a way by which God starts to realign our vision of the world, to change our outlook. As we articulate and express a desire for his kingdom to come, we can adopt a new vision, 
A vision not focused on our personal success, but one focused on God's kingdom and purposes. And this is obviously suitable for us to meditate on in this vision month. As you reflect on God's kingdom, as you pray for his will to be done, may God grow your desire for his plans and purposes around the world. Now, I find myself uh, still prone to worry. I think that's just a part of my personality. But Jesus, he's tender. He's aware of this propensity to worry. And later in the same chapter of the Lord's Prayer, he says to his disciples, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, Jesus is saying, we have a good father. A good father who has a good kingdom, a good will. Because of that, we don't need to be racked with anxiety and worry about what's going to happen with us. He's a good father who loves us and will provide for us. All we need to do is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And that's, that's the whole of life project. But where it begins is with prayer. That's what Jesus taught us to do. So to finish, practically speaking, what does it look like to pray for God's kingdom to come? Well, it's a, I think it's a great thing that it's regularly part of our liturgy that we pray the Lord's Prayer together at church. And that's a, that's a great way to pray. Another way to pray is um, to take the words of the Lord's Prayer, each line, and make them uh, sort of topics around which you can pray. So, for example, if you think of the first line of the Lord's Prayer, you could say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What you can do with that opening is you can meditate on God being your Father, and you can praise His name for being holy. In other words, you're beginning your prayers in praise and adoration of God. Then we take the next line of the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. When we pray that prayer, I mean, there's so many things we can pray for. Starting with ourselves, if we're praying your kingdom come, we can pray that in our hearts, Christ would rule over every emotion and desire, thought and commitment. We can pray for our friends and for our family that they may come to know Jesus as their Lord and grow in maturity and love by the power of his spirit. When we pray your kingdom come, we can pray for our church family, for one another, that we will grow in unity, built up into maturity in Christ. We can pray for our witness to the community and our our various ministries to kids and to youth and to, to, to various others. We can pray further afield. We can pray for our city and for our country, for communities in need of the love and hope of the gospel, for Jesus to be known in all spheres of life from schools to unis to workplaces to retirement villages. When we pray, your kingdom come, we can pray for God's global gospel purposes, for the spread of Christianity around the world, for our mission partners, people like the Vigese family who are going to be going to Seychelles to to serve the church there. We can pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters who struggle in their faith under, um, yeah, severe persecution. But finally, when we pray your kingdom come, we can pray for the return of the king, that Jesus would come again soon and bring his kingdom of peace 
and wholeness. My challenge to you is uh, this month to make it a daily habit to pray this Lord's Prayer. And uh, you, you can do that just by praying the words Jesus taught us to pray, or you might like to try what I suggested, which is take each line of the prayer and make it a personal prayer for you. Meditate on what it means and seek to pray it um, uh, to God. And so as we finish, let, let, me, let me do that for us. Let us pray uh, together to close. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that your name would be honoured as holy. We do pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that in our own hearts you would rule as king, that our emotions and desires and struggles would come under your loving rule. We pray that our friends and our family may come to know you and trust you and live for you. We pray for our church family that we may be built up into unity and maturity in, in, in Christ. We pray for our different ministries that you would extend and expand them into the community and that many may know your love. We pray for our world that where there is brokenness, you would bring the hope of the gospel. We pray for those serving in Kenya and Portugal and Seychelles and all these different areas. We ask that the gospel would go forth. Most of all, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would return. We pray that you would come again soon and bring your kingdom of hope and healing forever. We thank you for our time together. Please help us fix our eyes on that heavenly kingdom. We pray in your name. Amen.